Good morning, gentlemen. Okay. So we were discussing yesterday how Moshe sees that God is listening to all of his requests. If you remember when Moshe came down the mountain at the end of the second set of 40 days, Hashem had agreed not to kill the Jews, but he was not willing to actually allow his presence to reside amongst the Jews. So Moshe moved his tent to the outside of the camp and God will meet with him there. And then Moshe tells God, that wasn't the condition that we agreed to. That was not the fine print. You got to be amongst us. And then God agrees and he says that I personally will be amongst the Jewish people. I won't just send an angel with you to the promised land. I will go through to the promised land. And then Moshe continues and says, well, I want not just that you should be with us, but you should make us separate from all the other nations. Vineflinu, anila amcha, to make us exalted and distinct. And God promises to do that as well, to make that his presence will only rest upon Moshe, unlike any other prophet. Back in the olden days, perhaps, you know, the non-Jewish uh, stargazers and astrologers have powers that they no longer have. And now we come to the ultimate request of Moshe to God. Moshe sees that God's listening to everything he asks for. So Moshe says to God, Hareini na es I want to see your glory. Meaning, I want to see how you reveal your presence in the world. I want to see you. And students say, I want to see your face. I want to understand God. You know, the question that Robert asks every two weeks, three weeks, the question comes up again, right? Why would God do this? Well, what was the reason? What's the explanation? Why would God do something like that? I want to understand you, God. So what does Hashem say to Moshe? We'll discuss this. Well, Hashem says to Moshe, I'm going to show all of my goodness before you. I'll make it pass before you. Now, I want you to understand, says God, that you have prayed on the schus avos, on the merit of the forefathers. But what will happen when the merit of the forefathers goes away? You're afraid that you'll have nothing. So I'm going to teach you now the secret of arousing my attribute of mercy, independent of the forefathers, independent of everything else, where God aroused a level of compassion and love for us unconditionally, not because of something we did, not because of something our forefathers did, pure unconditional love. And whenever the Jewish people will sin, you will invoke these 13 attributes of mercy that we'll soon discuss, and this will be the way of guaranteeing forgiveness for the Jewish people. Now, Hashem says, I still retain the right to choose when to be compassionate, when not. I will choose, I will show favor when I choose to show favor. I will show mercy when I choose to show mercy. But I'm going to give you the secret how to arouse it. And then God says, how am I going to show it to you? You are not able to see my face. Because no man can see my face and live. And what does that mean? What, what's the face of God? Obviously, God doesn't have a face where me and you have a face. God doesn't have a nose and eyes and ears. So what does it mean God has a face? It means the inside of God, the understanding of the internal dimension. Why does God do what God do? When you look at someone's face, you can see their emotions. I look at you, I can see you're happy, you're sad, I, if you're you know, frustrated. You can see the face reveal, reveals what's inside the, inside the heart and the mind of a person. The hands, the back of the face of the person you can't see. So Hashem says, no person can understand my internal reality, why I do what I do, and live. Because to live in this world is a finite world. And I exist in an infinite dimension. And so there's no way that you can understand me and live in this world. And again, there's a lot to say about this. There's some beautiful stories that bring out this idea. But the point is, you can't see my face. So what will I do, said Hashem? I'm going to put you into the cleft of a rock. And in this rock, I am going to pass my hand over you. 
And after I pass my hand over you, I will then remove my hand. I will turn and you'll see my back. You'll see my back. And Hashem says, you'll see me like a chazan wearing the talus, with the talus over my head, and a knot of the tefillin. The knot of the tefillin goes in the back of the hollow of our neck. What does the talus and the tefillin represent? We know that when you wear a talit, what's the point of the talit? Why do we wear the tzitzis? So we said this morning in the Shema, that when you see the tzitzis, it will be a reminder for you of the commandments of Hashem. Right? It's a reminder of the commandments of Hashem. Hashem. What is the tefillin called? It's also an os. Ukshartam la'os al-yadecha. You should tie them as a reminder, as a, as a symbol, as a reminder on your arm. So both the talus and the tefillin are reminders of our relationship with Hashem. Each in his own unique way, but they're reminders of our relationship with Hashem. So I'm going to show you me from the back with the talus, metaphorically speaking, obviously, because again, God's not physical, with the talus over my head like a chazan in prayer, with the knot of the, the neck where the tefillin goes, the knot of the tefillin, which represents the action of the person. And there, I, then, after I show you that, I will put my hand over you while my presence, sorry, the other way around, put my hand over you while my presence passes before you, and then when I remove my hand, you'll see the back of my neck with the tefillin and the taluses, and you will then be able to understand the back of Hashem. What does it mean to understand the back of Hashem? So, again, there's many explanations, but one very beautiful explanation is that when do we understand God? Only after the fact. You will see, you will see literally my back, but the same four letters could be right? What does mean? Afterwards. So, during the time, you don't understand why is God doing this to me? Just yesterday, two days ago, just two days, uh, yesterday, Yesterday, I was speaking to a woman. She was traveling somewhere, and she missed her flight. And she was really upset. Like, why would God do this to me? And I have to be back home, and I have to go to work the next morning. And da, 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 da. she was all stressed out. And then, because she was stuck in the airport, she ended up having a conversation with the person she was traveling with that she never would have had. They had been sitting in the airport for hours and hours and hours, waiting for their next flight. They didn't come until late, late in the day. And because they were stuck in the airport together, they had a conversation that was... Perhaps a life-changing conversation that was of, of tremendous significance, a tremendously important conversation. And she didn't understand why I missed my flight, because we had to be stuck in the airport for hours to have this conversation that we never would have had otherwise. So that is called Achare. After it happened, oh now I understand why Hashem made me stay there in the Hashkacha Pratis of Divine Providence. Now I understand. But at the time, we can't understand. Anyway, the point is, I'll just tell you one more thing, and then we're gonna move on. Hashem says to Moshe, I'm going to put you inside the rock. Why inside a rock? What's the significance of a rock? So you'll know that by funerals, how do we describe Hashem? We have a funeral. What's the, 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 the most beautiful, beautiful? The prayer we say at a funeral is, that God is a rock, that all of his actions are perfect, are just. All of his ways are righteousness and justice. We can't ask other ways of Hashem. It's a whole long, very beautiful prayer saying that everything God does is righteous and we can't ask his ways. And in that prayer, in the entire funeral ceremony, we describe God as Hatsur, the rock. What's the significance of the rock? The significance of the rock is that a rock never changes. A rock is the exact same in the rain as it is in the sun, as it is in the you know good day, a bad day. So the righteousness of Hashem never changes. 
we change, right? We change. But Hashem's righteousness never changed. Hashem is forever. And therefore, Hashem says to Moshe, here is a place inside the rock, meaning inside, you can't see, but inside my eternity, have a great day, there is a place I will put for you. And then when I remove my hand, you cannot see my face. You will see the back but my face you cannot see. One more example. One more beautiful thought. You ever look at the back of a tapestry? A tapestry. I don't know if you can see the back of the tapestry. Would be a good example? No. So for example, on the parochas, the back side is a black linen here, right? A black covering. Why is there a black cloth on the back side of the parochas? Because if that black cloth wouldn't be there, you would see the inside of the tapestry. You know what it would look like? It would look very unattractive. It look like a big mess, right? You can't. If you look at the back side of a tapestry, what do you see? A whole bunch of just different color endings. There's no design. There's no picture. It's messy. It's not meant to look pretty. The front side is where the, the front side of the parocha is gorgeous. But if you see the back side, it looks terrible. So they put another piece of material behind that so it looks nice and clean so you don't see it. That's, you know, what's the point? God is looking at the picture of the world from his perspective. From his perspective, he sees the entire world, the entire story of creation, and all of us, we talked about this on Tuesday night's class, the entire story of the entire puzzle, the entire image. So for God, he understands everything, so he sees the face, he sees the image. We're looking at the backside. We're looking at the back. On the backside, what do you see? The mess. You see the, all the... We don't see the beauty of the picture because we're presenting it upwards. What we see... When you're in, you're in the show, when you're in the presentation, when you're in the play, right? Do you see what's happening? No, because you're part of it. When you're part of it, you can't see the beauty of what's happening. If you're in a dance routine, there's a hundred dancers, right? The dancers can't see how beautiful the dance routine is. The people in the audience can see because they're watching. So Moshe is looking at Hashem's back. Joseph's back. Correct. So does he show him his back with a cloth around it? So that Moses doesn't see the knitting and the construction of the front, or does he show it to him exposed? So he sees the knitting. And the he doesn't see it exposed. He sees he sees the back of Hashem, meaning he does not see the face of Hashem. He does not understand. Even Moshe Rabbeinu, the greatest human being, is not able to understand the face of Hashem to understand why Hashem does, how Hashem does, what's the reason. He can't understand. He's just showing him the back, which is his mercy, his compassion, his attributes of mercy that can be aroused through prayer, which is we're going to have time. We're going to get to the 13 attributes of mercy. We'll do it tomorrow. We'll give it more time. No, we'll do it tomorrow. I'll tell you one more. The point is, I'll, I'll tell you a medrash, okay, about this dialogue. So the medrash says that when Moshe Rabbeinu asked Hashem, show me your face, show me, the, show me your, your uh, justice, your righteousness, how things are fair, so Hashem said, I can't show you the full thing. I'll give you a glimpse. And Hashem shows him an image, just what the Medrash says, of a person, it's in the future, of a person walking on the riverbank. He's a, whatever, businessman, merchant. He lies with two, a big bag of money, of gold that he has. He sits down by the side of a river, by a tree, to eat his lunch. And he eats his lunch, whatever, and then he gets up to continue walking. And unbeknownst to him, he uh, drops his money pouch full of gold. He leaves it, and he drops it, and he keeps on walking. Then he left it behind. Anyway, he's walking. Moshe's watching this riverbank with a big bag of gold sitting there. He sees someone else come, take the bag of gold, and run. He comes, he sees the bag of gold, and leaves. 
along comes a simple beggar who's also tired or whatever, and he comes also sitting on the same tree by the river. He eats whatever he has, takes a drink of water, and goes to lie down to take a nap. In the meantime, the first businessman comes back to the place where he dropped his money. And what does he see there? He sees a guy sleeping. So he says, give me back my money. I says, give me back the money. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't have any money. He says, of course you have my money. I left my money there. And now we're going to give it back to me. And the guy starts to scream and shout. He says, I don't have your money. And the rich man starts to beat the guy for his money. And the guy won't give it to him until he beats him to death. And sure enough, after he beats him and beats him, he searches his body. Indeed, he has no money. And his money is gone. And he kills this guy. That's the story Moshe sees. Moshe says, what? That's, that's justice? That's righteousness? This guy lost his money. Second guy got money for no reason. The third guy got killed for no reason. How is that just? So she says, okay, now let me take you back earlier. Let me take you back. And now Moses sees another image. There's a father and a son that are walking through the forest. Same place, the father's in the walking. And all of a sudden, along comes a, a robber. And the robber comes and he steals money from the father and he kills the father. He kills the father, he steals the money from the father and he runs away. Yes? And that's it. So says, this is, that's mercy. Now this orphan, left alone in the forest, crying over his dead father. His money is stolen. The robber killed this guy and walked away with his money. Where is that mercy? Then Hashem shows him that these three people are the same three people reincarnated. The robber that had killed this person is the, it, the seemingly innocent person lying on the side of the river that is being killed for no reason. But really, he's being killed by the merchant, by, he's being killed for his crime. The person that, that found the money and left is the son that had been robbed. And the original merchant that had lost the money is the person that had, that, that had been stolen from that gave the money to his son. You understand? So each one of the three people ended up back where they, where they originally finished the story that was supposed to have taken place. So the point is that when you look at one part of a story, that's the the back side of a tapestry, how much of it do you understand? Very little. What can you understand about it, right? But when you look deeper, when you're able to see the front side, you see the whole picture, then you see the beauty. You can understand why there's a little bit of red here. Now you look at the back side of the tapestry and you see a little red, a little blue. Like, why is it red? This is all green on this part. Why is it red here? But if you see the front side, you'll see actually in the middle of all this is a little bird. You know what I'm saying? You'll see a little red. But you can't understand that if you're looking at the uh, backside. Again, it's, it's a lot to discuss, but let's go further. Shem says to Moshe, this is, I mean, I, I don't feel like I did justice to the story. It's a, it's, it needs more, but whatever. The point is, Hashem then says to Moshe, tomorrow I'm going to give you the chance to get a new set of tablets, a second set of tablets. Uh, but you broke the first ones. So the first tablets were made by who? By God. Hashem says to Moshe, I made the first ones, you broke them. Now you got to make the second one, right? You broke it, you fix it. So where's Moshe going to get a sapphire from? And we're talking about big sapphires. There was an ama by an ama by an ama. That's a cubit by a cubit. We're talking about 36 inches to 40 inches of sapphire by, you know, each one was 18 by 18 by 18. That's a big block of sapphire. So Hashem shows Moshe right underneath his tent, he should dig, and there's going to find sapphire buried. Moshe digs under his tent, which was outside the camp, and sapphire is there, and he becomes rich from the carving of making it into the boxes. He becomes very wealthy. In addition, before he goes up the mountain, he builds an aron, a wooden ark, for the tablets, because from when Moshe will come down the, 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 uh, the mountain on Yom Kippur, 
until the Aron that we talked about, the golden ark will be built, is six months. So where will the tablets stay for six months? So Moshe builds a temporary ark in his house where the tablets will stay. Moshe goes up the mountain on the next morning. So now it's the morning of Rosh Chodesh Elul. Came on the 29th of Av. So now it's the next day, the first day of the month of Elul, which we know the first day of the month of Elul is a very special day for us. Why is it a very special day? The beginning of the period of God's compassion and mercy, where God forgives the Jewish people, begins in the 40-day period, which, which starts on the first day of Elul and climaxes and culminates on Yom Kippur, 40 days later. So the 40 days of God's compassion are on these 40 days from Rosh Chodesh, Elul, the first day of Elul, till the 10th day of Tishrei, which is Yom Kippur. And I'm going to explain to you right now that what happened when God my Moshe was at the mountain on, on Rosh Chodesh, Elul, by Yevid Hashem Ba'anam. God descends in a cloud and stands with him there, and there by Yikra, B'Shem Hashem, which means that he evokes the name of God. So God teaches him how to call in the name of God, and then Hashem passes before him. Yesterday Hashem passed by him just in the cleft in the rock, and he showed him the back of his neck with the talis, showing him the back of God's face. And today is when the An Rosh Chodesh Elul is when God begins to teach Moshe the 13 attributes of mercy. Yavar Hashem, I'll read this every fast day. Hashem passes before Moshe, and he calls out Hashem, Hashem, there's different ways of reading the 13 attributes of mercy. In the Zohar, there's one way of counting it. The other the way Rashi counts it, we'll just do this quickly. Vayikra Hashem, Hashem, says God's name twice. Why God's name twice? Both God, to, who shows compassion to help a person overcome the temptation to sin, and Hashem that will still love the person, help the person repent from the sin after they do the sin. So Hashem, before the sin, Hashem, the same God of compassion, after the sin, He's the same God, Kale. In this context, Kale does not mean kindness, it means compassion. Rachum, which is um, it's translated benevolent, but it's a name of God's Rachamim. Rachum is also compassion. Rachanun is translated as gracious, but they're all different aspects of God's compassion. That's five. Erech he is slow to anger. Number seven is Virav Chesed, he is abundant in kindness. Number eight, Ve'emes, he's abundant in his truth. Number nine, Chesed, he preserves the merit of kindness for 2,000 generations. So when we do a mitzvah, we do an act of kindness, that power of our deed remains for 2,000 generations after. That's how long... God gives, that's the kind of power God gives to our acts of goodness, our mitzvot. Number 10, he is no say avon. He forgives us for any premeditated sins. Number 11, vafesha. He forgives us for any acts of rebellion. Meaning there's a sin we just do it. I know that it's forbidden, but I'm hungry. I want to eat this non-kosher food. Pesha is worse. That's deliberate, right? Rebelling against God and I'm doing a sin in spite. Number 12, is the chata, which are unintentional sins. And finally, number 13, vinake, God cleanses. He acquits the sinners from punishment and uh, he acquits us. Those are the 13 attributes of mercy. And then he says, Poket avon avos albanim, is not counted as the 13 attributes of mercy. But God says, in comparison, in contrast to my holding the merit of a person for 2,000 generations, the sin of a person only lasts for three generations, on the sons and on the sons of the sons, up to the fourth generation. 
the children of the so the parent, the person that sins, the children and the children's children, only up to the third or fourth generation, which proves that the attribute of God's kindness is 500 times greater than of his punishment. Kindness lasts 2,000 generations, and sin only lasts up to four generations. And when Moshe sees God with the talus, reciting to him, teaching him these 20 attributes, of, these 30 attributes of mercy, Moshe immediately falls on his face and prostrates himself before God. And uh, we'll talk about the renewing of the covenant again tomorrow.